Welcome to Health Rants. Join us and learn how not to let healthcare rip you off or kill you. Together, we will explore the secrets of healthcare and give you insight on how to make a better and informed decision about your health and your healthcare. I'm Dr. Bob Braille. I'm a chiropractor for over 40 years, and I've seen it and heard it all. So welcome to our podcast, Health Rants. Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Rants. You know, in this one, I wanted to speak specifically about uh, my profession, uh, chiropractic. And today is a couple of days after the anniversary of the discovery of chiropractic. Now, I realize most chiropractors know something about it, but probably most patients know absolutely nothing about the history of chiropractic and how it got started, where, what's going on with it. So we're going to spend a little bit of time because it actually is a very interesting story. And it is started right here in America. I mean, it's an American form of healthcare. It's uniquely American. The rest, all other forms of healthcare, well, osteopathy could be too, but all other forms of healthcare are not. So let's do a little bit of, of what this is and how it got started. Okay, let's go back to the year 1895 in Davenport, Iowa on September 18th. Okay, so we have Davenport, Iowa, the corner of 2nd and Brady Street in a building that is no longer there. It was a Ryan Block building. And uh, so it's, it's sometime during the day. In that building is a magnetic healer by the name of D.D. Palmer. Now, D.D. Palmer, in his own right, was a very colorful and interesting character. He was originally born in Canada. He, uh, I forget how many wives he had over the years because his wives died. Some of them just plain, I guess, ran off or whatever. There's not great records from the day, but I, I'm thinking it was five different wives that he'd had over the years. And uh, he was a unique man in that he tried many professions. Uh, he was a goldfish peddler. He actually sold and, I guess, raised goldfish for a while. And he got into magnetic healing. Now, magnetic healing was the uh, uh, healing process of touching people at certain places and, you know, feeling their aura or whatever it was at the time. And uh, then they would heal. Now, there is a, there's a power to the power of touch and healing. So it's not like it's totally unfounded. It just never really caught on and it wasn't overly uh, well studied. But he was into it. And in the building that he was in, where he had his office, where he actually saw people for this, there was a janitor who worked in the office. And his janitor's name was Harvey Lillard. And Harvey Lillard was working in that office. And I guess as the story goes, D.D. Palmer called out to him and Harvey didn't respond. And so D.D. called out louder and Harvey looked. And it turns out that Harvey Lillard was near death. He could not hear. In fact, he lost his hearing 17 years earlier when the story is explained. He was scrubbing with his brush. He heard a pop uh, somewhere. It's either his back up or in a neck, and nobody's 100% certain about this part of it. But his hearing went away. He basically became near totally deaf, and he had been like that. So Dr. Palmer, who had also self-studied anatomy uh, in his profession, so he was, he was curious about this, and he wanted to 
look at Harvey and he, he asked Harvey, can I have a look at you? And Harvey obviously consented and BJ, uh, excuse me, D.D. Palmer uh, looked at him and found that there was some kind of a bump, lump, uh, the story is a little vague here, either upper back or neck area. And it depends upon what source you're getting it from, but different parts of the somewhere upper back neck. And Harvey said it was a little tender and painful and that had been there since he lost his hearing. Okay. So Dr. Palmer figured that, okay, that happened when he lost his hearing. Maybe if I can correct that, it'll have an effect on his hearing. So through whatever discussion was necessary, Dr. Palmer convinced Harvey Lillard to lie down on a bench he had there and proceeded to push the bone um, towards being back into position. Now, the story varies. Was there a pop? Did he do it once? Did he do it several times? He described it in his early book as racking the bone back into place. So that was a fairly harsh description of what was to be the very first adjustment. And as it turned out, Harvey then regained his hearing. And the story varies. Was it immediate? Was it a couple of days later? But Harvey regained his hearing. That was documented. So the first chiropractic patient ever was Harvey Lillard. He was an African-American. He was a janitor who worked in the building. And he got an adjustment of some sort in his upper back or neck. And his hearing returned after 17 years of deafness. Now, this event obviously was startling and wonderful for D.D. Palmer, and he thought he had somehow gotten uh, uh, some cure for deafness. Well, when a, another patient came in and he had some other issues, internal issues, and I think it was either gallbladder or heart, I don't 100% know what the issue was, he found a bone out of position, he racked that bone back towards being into position, and that person healed. Well, he quickly discovered here that he's not treating the entities that people are walking in with. He is doing something with the spine and it's affecting the nerve system because in his study of anatomy, he realized that the nerves came down through the spinal cord, out through all the spinal foramina and distribute themselves to the body. And everyone knew even at that time that the nerve system controlled the function of the body. So he started seeing people and finding bones out of position and taking care of people by pushing crude adjustments, the bones towards being back into place. And in so doing, miraculous things were happening. People were healing from things that would normally not get better, that they were told there was no chance. Now, understand the state of medicine at the time also was not very advanced. In fact, in parts of the country at that time, they were still bleeding people to try to heal them. You know, bloodletting, which, you know, something that killed George Washington. But, uh, you know, so the state of medicine wasn't that good, but their best understanding still didn't uh, handle many of the issues of then and even today for that matter. So people started going to Dr. Palmer with all kinds of incurable and tremendous diseases. In fact, you know, the idea most people today have about chiropractic is that we're, we're a back doctor. You know, you, they work on your back, therefore you go with a back problem. And that, that's a such a common misconception because... We're actually not back doctors. We're not neck doctors. We're nerve system doctors. We work through the vehicle of the back and the neck, but our effect is on removing interference to the nerve system. 
See, D.D. Palmer understood that when he moved the bone, he somehow affected, as he called it, an occlusion on a nerve. Therefore, when he corrected that, the nerve system functioned better and the patient was able to heal themselves. Well, think about the state of the time because that chiropractic started to expand greatly. Now, his son, B.J. Palmer, supposedly observed this very first crude adjustment. And years later, his son became sort of the leader of the chiropractic profession because he was the one that actually made the school grow because D.D. started a school and shortly after the school was started, uh, Didi was not a good businessman. He had, had many issues before, but BJ, his son, who probably was around, according to the story, 14 at the time of the first adjustment, um, he became kind of the leader of the profession, did more research, more scientific research, wrote many, many volumes on it called The Green Books. Uh, whereas Didi didn't write a whole lot. He did write a couple of books, but not a whole lot. But the profession was developed. B.J. Palmer, D.D. Palmer's son, is credited with being the developer of chiropractic. So let's back up a little bit where, where D.D. Palmer gives his first adjustment to Harvey Lillard. A little side story about Harvey Lillard is that he kind of dropped out of history not long after that. People didn't have a real remembrance other than his name because it was recorded in the books by D.D. Palmer and his son, B.J. Well, fast forward a century, Dr. Sid Williams, who was the founder and president of Life University and Life Chiropractic College at Life University, um, he decided he was going to look for and try to find Harvey Lillard. And in effect through a fair amount of research and stuff, his team found the original grave of Harvey Lillard. And they got to the family and convinced the family that he needs a proper tombstone reflecting the historic event that Harvey was the first chiropractic patient ever. So they uh, took the tombstone from the grave, the original, which actually had a misspelling in Harvey's name and replaced it with a proper monument and the uh, the original tombstone with the misspelling the d was left off the end of his last name was uh, at life university and i have the privilege of seeing it at the, the house of dr sid williams in fact i've taken several pictures of it which are on my phone so uh you know i i keep that memory there so i got to actually see the original gravestone from harvey lillard the very first patient of chiropractic so now let's let's move a little bit forward, and what we've got is we've got chiropractic getting started, taking care of all kinds of incurable people, all kinds of sick people, all kinds of things other than just, you know, other than back problems, actually. That didn't come until a little bit later. Dee Dee Palmer opens a school. Uh, BJ eventually runs the school. Now, many people were coming into the profession thinking, you know, that they had a miracle happen to themselves. They went to the, you got to think of the, the time frame here. You're talking about going to a doctor who's practicing something that no one has ever done before. So you really got to be on your last, okay, this is my last resort in order to try this. The name chiropractic came about when D.D. asked a Reverend Samuel Weed what he should call this new profession. And the Reverend Weed, who uh, uh, evidently was very good with wording, came up with the idea of using uh, the Greek and Latin, the uh, word chiro, meaning done by hand and practic practitioner. Uh, 
So done by hand practitioner because adjustments were given by hand. So people from all over the world started traveling, and as the word got out, to see Dr. D.D. Palmer. And he decided to start a school, the Palmer School of Chiropractic, the very first one that there was. And a number of people came to him and, and went to school because they had personal miracles in this thing, chiropractic. And as those people went to school, they went off and opened chiropractic offices wherever they were. A number of the people who attended, who thought this was an amazing thing, were practitioners for, from other health professions. In fact, a number of medical doctors went to the early years of the Palmer Chiropractic College. They called at the time Palmer School of Chiropractic. And they would graduate, and back then the course was 18 months long, and they would graduate, and they would go into or back to their own hometowns or their own practices, and they would mix what they learned in chiropractic to what they had been practicing in medicine, and thus was born the original name mixing or mixed chiropractic. You know, if you're a patient in chiropractic, you may have heard the term straight mixers, which has nothing to do with personal orientation. It has to do with your practice style. A mixed practice was one back in the early days where people came out of chiropractic college having had another profession and mixed it into their profession. And a straight practice was somebody who got out of school and practiced chiropractic directly from what they learned from Palmer. So that was the original. Now, since then, it's, the terms have totally been mutated into different things, and they've almost gone away. Uh, when I was young in chiropractic in the 70s, and I know in the 60s it was big, in the 80s, uh, those terms were very heavily used, much less so today. In fact, most people don't even use those. Most patients don't even hear those terms today. But there still is a bit of diversity. Now, a lot of people who came out of chiropractic college in the very earliest of days thought it was so great that they'd start their own school. A number of them who started schools were already in other health professions, so therefore mixed what they learned in chiropractic with what they had gotten from what other health profession they were into, and their school reflected that. Now that bore out schools that were teaching things that were different than what the Palmer School was teaching, and that to this day has developed into the diversity of chiropractors. You go to one chiropractor, it's a little bit different than going to another, which is not unfounded in medicine either, by the way. You know, not all medical, medical doctors practice the same, and there are all kinds of different specialties. But in chiropractic, there's, there's a fair difference between one type of chiropractor and another, and it doesn't mean one's more valid than another. It just means what their training was, what their focus was from their school, which probably dates way back to the early days of the chiropractic. Now, that being said, um, there was a large proliferation of chiropractic colleges in the early days, through the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and even into the 60s. In fact, at one time, my understanding were over 65 different chiropractic schools open at the same time. Now, a lot of them were mom and pop shops, done out of houses, done out of warehouses, you know, and, and they didn't really span the tell of time. And as accreditation came in and you know, the uh, chiropractic profession started fighting to get their schools accredited through the federal government accrediting agencies. Well, that widowed down the schools because they couldn't pass the muster. They couldn't meet the requirements. They weren't, you know, legitimate big-time schools. They were, because there was no, in a lot of states, there were no licenses in the early days. So anybody could get a certificate, say, go practice chiropractic, and you opened up. 
licensure had a lot to do with that. And uh, the reality is early licensure was very early, like the first decade after chiropractic was discovered. But late licensure, the very last state to get a license, to, and this is unfathomable to me, was 1974. The state of Louisiana was the last state to grant chiropractors licenses. In fact, in 1974, a chiropractor was actually put in jail for practicing medicine without a license. He was practicing chiropractic, but there was no legitimate profession of chiropractic. So even though he had graduated from a legitimate school, could have been licensed in any other state, the state of Louisiana locked him up. And this was after the law was passed that allowed chiropractors to practice because he was convicted for doing it before the law passed. Uh, that's how weird that was back in those days. And at Life University, they actually have a tower there with the plaque and the names of every chiropractor who was arrested in their state for practicing medicine without a license prior to the licensure of chiropractic in that state. And you had to be pretty hardcore and pretty dedicated to open an office to see patients and change their lives, knowing that if an officer came through, you could go in handcuffs for the rest of the day and back into jail. And in many cases, what they offered these young chiropractors who were going to jail was, well, if you plead guilty that you're practicing medicine without a license and pay a small fine, we'll let you go. And a lot of those chiropractors refused. They said, we're not practicing medicine, we're practicing chiropractic. And therefore, they spent time in jail, extended time in jail for some, uh, because of their dedication to the profession and their desire not to give in and say, we're practicing medicine. We are not practicing medicine, we're practicing chiropractic. Now, those days are gone in the United States. There are countries around the world where it's not quite the same, where it still is not licensed, or in many states it's called registered. It's not the same as licensure in the United States. And in fact, uh, in my past years, in the, in the late 90s, when I was president of the International Chiropractors Association, Japan was one such place, and so was Spain, by the way. And uh, in Japan, there were many people practicing chiropractic who got a certificate from weekend courses, and there was something like 10,000 of them, but only a couple hundred real chiropractors. And an association was formed, and the majority was those 10,000, and licensure was fought for and eventually won, but they grandfathered in all those people who really didn't have much chiropractic training. Now you have to have real chiropractic training, but a lot of those people knew nothing about chiropractic and hung a chiropractic shingle on their door in uh, Japan. Now that's since hopefully most of that's been corrected by now, but this was not too long ago. So the profession of chiropractic was very interesting, and there was a kind of a chasm in chiropractic. Those who practiced uh, chiropractic plus other things in the mixed practice mode. And those who practiced straight from school, what they had learned and what was called at that time the straight practice mode. And there were two chiropractic organizations in the United States representing those two separate groups because they were very different philosophically. Even though the schools uh, produced chiropractors that would fall into either one of the categories, the, the representation was different. And to this day, there are two major organizations in chiropractic. There is the American Chiropractic Association, which don't go by the geography of the name, but it's it basically the group that believes chiropractic is whatever chiropractors are trained to do and licensed to do and doesn't have a specific focused philosophy. And the International Chiropractors Association, which was formed by B.J. Palmer, the son of D.D., the discoverer of chiropractic, 
This organization was formed in 1926. I was the president in the late 90s of this. And this is the focused group, or what was previously called the straight group. That term's not used anymore. But it's the group that's focused around the correction of nerve interference, correction of subluxation. So our profession was pretty diverse throughout the years. Now, licensure honed it in a little bit in that you had to meet certain requirements. So the requirements for schooling are pretty standard across the board right now. It's a rigorous, you know, one of the, the things that uh, was, a, I can remember even when I was early in practice, an incorrect criticism of chiropractic was that, oh, you guys really don't go to real school and stuff. And it's like, wow, you know, school I went to was pretty real and pretty rigorous. Um, now it's four years after college, uh, not much different than an MD degree, certainly not different than other health professions, uh, including an intern or an externship while you're there. I mean, so it's, it's a rigorous exam. It's a rigorous course of study to become a chiropractor. And, you know, it, it's not something that, you know, the, the criticism was that it's a weekend course. And that's not the case. And that hasn't been the case for I don't know, half a century at this point. You know, even when I went to school, it wasn't near that. There wasn't anything like that. Yet people were asking me, do you really go to school for what you do? Well, yeah, yeah. But that was the misinformation put out mainly by the medical profession at the time. Now, there was a lot of criticism coming out about chiropractic that was specifically created by the medical profession. As chiropractic grew and became more popular, and keeping in mind, the, the one disadvantage that chiropractic had from a business standpoint was that we really didn't have any big companies behind us. See, the medical profession always had drug companies, huge multi-billion dollar powerhouses that could spend all kinds of money on legislation and lobbying and promotion. I mean, they had a ton of money. Uh, behind that, the medical equipment companies and the hospitals. And you know, there's a lot of money behind the medical profession, not just the doctors. In chiropractic, there isn't any of that. There's no drug company backing us. There's no exercise. You know, there's nothing that backs the chiropractic profession. Some of the organizations have a mattress company that endorses, that they endorse, and they get probably a paltry couple of thousand dollars from it you know, in some insurance companies minimally for malpractice insurance, et cetera. But there's no big billion-dollar business behind chiropractic to help promote it. Chiropractic success has been based primarily, in fact, almost entirely on chiropractors and the success that we have had with patients. So the profession grew. It did draw the ire of the organized medical profession. And in fact, they formed a committee which they aptly at that time named the Committee on Quackery, which they named as their primary goal, the elimination of chiropractic. And they spent a lot of money and a lot of time trying to falsely tell the public what chiropractic was, misrepresenting chiropractic to the profession, to the public and the people and trying to scare people out of chiropractic's offices. And that prejudice exists to this day with people who you know, oh, I don't go to a chiropractor, you know, they'll do this or that. And all of that was planted primarily by the medical profession with the backing of the drug companies. No basis in reality whatsoever. And in fact, the chiropractors got together and sued the medical profession through an antitrust suit back in the 70s into the 80s. And in fact, they won. 
The chiropractors won a, a, a landmark case, uh, the Wilk Antitrust case, where they actually beat the American Medical Association, the medical profession, and I forget how many other plaintiffs in an antitrust suit against falsely trying to eliminate the chiropractic profession. And they had to disband their committee on quackery, and they had to actually issue a statement saying, you know, that what they did was wrong. In fact, they, they had a statement out that medical doctors were not allowed to associate with chiropractors. I guess they couldn't have dinner with us. But they weren't allowed to refer to chiropractors. Well, that ended. And medical doctors are allowed to refer to chiropractors. There's still a fair amount of prejudice out there where they won't do it. But there's a lot of medical doctors who do send people to chiropractors on a regular basis. And that all, that all official policy of not allowed to do it ended with the Wilk suit when the chiropractic profession as a group contributed and wound up winning a lawsuit against the AMA, the hospitals, a whole bunch of other groups uh, saying that they were specifically and proved it, specifically doing a campaign of disinformation to dissuade people about chiropractic. So if there are people today when you say you go to a chiropractor and they look at you funny or they say something, that's a remnant of that. And by the way, it's not true in other countries. You know, in certain other countries, there are obviously in every other country, there are less chiropractors per person than in the United States. There are many more chiropractors here. But I know chiropractors who moved to other countries who were in the United States. And one of the things they were delighted about is there wasn't that negativity about chiropractic. When they said, I'm a chiropractor, people said, what's that? Oh, great. I'm coming. You know, eat referrals were easy. And many people outside the United States have much bigger practices than those inside the United States on average. Why? Because there isn't that underlying negativity push that was there for years, purposely planted and purposely funded by, you know, the medical business, you know. So, you know, this is something that happened that we chiropractors have since gotten over. Um, you know, we, the medical profession is much more friendly to us, almost universally. I would probably say there's still some hesitancy there, but... Um, some of the old uh, bigotry or whatever towards chiropractic, just because we're different, still exists in the minds of people because they just hear things, you know, because they, uh, it's just, it was a big campaign to prevent us from growing. So it grew. Chiropractic got accreditation. Chiropractic has, you know, proliferated. There are now, you know, tens of thousands of chiropractors throughout the United States and uh, probably over 100,000 on a worldwide basis. Uh, it is the largest non-drug healing profession in the United States, probably close to that in the world. Uh, millions of people go to chiropractors now. You know, there's no stigma. In fact, you know, and now it's even a desired thing among sports people who have decided that, you know what, <laughs> If my nerve system doesn't have interference, I function on a better level. And we'll have some discussions, and I know in some of our past podcasts, we've had some experts on that who take care of professional athletes. But now every NFL team has a chiropractor on staff. Uh, almost every professional level player has a chiropractor, either on staff of the team they're on, or if it's not provided, they have one on their own. Why? Because even, uh, let's say, a, I mean, there's been research showing a up to a 14% increase in reaction time under chiropractic as opposed to not under chiropractic. But even if it was a lot less than that, an increased reaction time for a professional athlete is the difference between making the team and the Hall of Fame. You know, 
So who doesn't want that little bit of edge, especially since this is not a drug, it's not banned, it's not bad for you, it's just allowing your nervous system to function at the highest level. So we are 125 years, as of this past September 18th, into the profession of chiropractic. I can remember as a young chiropractor, the interesting thing was thinking to myself, well, I was specialized in school, wow, by the time we get to our centennial, our 100th anniversary in 1995, I'll be an old guy. Well, we've long passed that. <laughs> now I'm thinking, huh, am I an old guy? Well, I've just had the privilege and pleasure of uh, this past Sunday, two days after the anniversary of chiropractic, I celebrated my 65th birthday. So uh, I've been in this profession some 42 years at this point. And I can tell you, I've seen some wonderful things. I've had the privilege of seeing things people call miracles. I don't do miracles, but I've had the privilege of witnessing them because when you remove interference from a human body, amazing thing takes place. When you remove nerve interference by correction, specific correction of a subluxation, great things happen. And it is that basic principle, although the advancement of chiropractic adjustment has gone on, the advancement of understanding of the science has proliferated, but is that still basic concept of the nerve system working without interference which started in 1895 in Davenport, Iowa, on a deaf man, a janitor, by Dr. D.D. Palmer, that one single event changed history. And it certainly changed it for me. And I've had the privilege since 1995 of going back to Davenport on many occasions to speak at the Palmer School, to be a part of many festivities that were there as a, as a dignitary and as a speaker and a, and a teacher. And one of the first things, in fact, the first thing I've done every single time that I've been there is I fly into the Quad Cities, into Moline is where the airport is, and I rent a car and drive over to Davenport. And the very first thing I do is I go to the corner of 2nd and Brady. On the corner of that street right now is a plaque on a metal stand. And that plaque commemorates the very first adjustment. The building that the adjustment was given in is gone. There's a modern building there. Uh, the corner doesn't look, obviously wouldn't look the same as it did back in 1895, but I go there and look at the plaque and I touch the plaque and I tear up every single time because I realize that my entire life, everything I've dedicated myself to, everything that I've had the privilege and pleasure of doing, all of the rewards that have come my way for service are all because of that one event on that one corner in 1895. So... Happy birthday, chiropractic. I hope you learned a little bit about our profession from this history lesson. And thank you for listening to Health Rants. You have been listening to Health Rants. My name is Dr. Bob Braille, and I've been your host. Subscribe to this podcast and join us for future rants on a large variety of subjects related to health and health care. Thank you for listening to Health Rants. Health Rants is sponsored by Braille Chiropractic. Find out more and listen to previous episodes on our website, www.braillechiropractic.com. That's B-R-A-I-L-E chiropractic.com. The opinions on this podcast are meant to encourage discussion on healthcare issues and are not meant as specific medical or healthcare advice. You should only seek health advice from your healthcare professionals. This has been Health Rants.